You hear the familiar pattering sound of someone coming into the center of town. You, like some other people, unlucky enough to still be here in this godforsaken place. This place you used to be proud to call your home before those two gangs showed up and took over everything. Now there's some fighter in town stirring things up again, just when it was quiet. Then the traveler comes in and tells you, the last bartender for miles, that he's going to fight both sides to the middle for money. Now, I want you to think really, really hard. What movie am I actually talking about in this intro? Let's ride into a desert on a horse with no name. It's a fistful of dollars here on Reel of Thieves. everybody, welcome to Reel of Thieves, I'm Pete, and this is a show where we go over all the references, riffs, and history in your favorite stuff, and today, we're going to be talking about one of the landmarks on my roadmap, oh, film knowledge, It's a Fistful of Dollars by Sergio Leone. But first, if you like today's episode, make sure to like and share with a friend, please, it helps the show a whole bunch, and if you want to find ways to support the show directly, head on over to realofthieves.wordpress.com, or if you've been binging me, we're on episode 8 now, so es possible, you already know all the amazing ways that you can support the show, and please do, I'm very hungry, the night is dark and full of terrors. So I've had some cool shoutouts over the last couple of weeks, and I'd like to do the same for some others. If you're not a part of the podcasting world, you should be. I've met some super supportive human beings here. Please go do yourself a favor. Download Anchor, download Beams, follow Breaking Character while you're there, and start a show and become a part of this crazy world of voices that I've joined. We want to hear yours too, and we want to support you and I'm going to hop on this love train. Here's some cool pods that you should follow. Should there be music? I feel like there should be music. Uh, computer? Music, please. Mmm, nice choice, my dude. You're welcome. Right at the top, that damn podcast is great if you're a fan of talk radio shows, morning radio shows. They have a new episode on Spotify this week talking about their time on Designated Quizzers, other fun stuff, including Kodak Black at the Panthers. And I so wish I didn't see that video. My God, thank you for your support on Real Thieves and always saying hi and always being supportive. I really appreciate it. Go follow them on Twitter and check out their show, That Damn Podcast. I did an interview with Poppin' the Popcorn. Uh, you can head over to Poppin' the Popcorn over at IG at Poppin' the Popcorn, or you can go over to Poppin' the Popcorn on YouTube or on Spotify. Katie is a really, really great person. She was one of the first people to ever reach out to me, literally the first person to ever reach out to me and tell me, oh my God, this show's amazing. You need to keep doing it. Um, so I was very happy to be able to do an interview with her. We talked over an hour, and it was an hour and seven minute interview. Uh, and I act like the spaz that I am the entire time. I'm very sorry, but if you're entertained by stuff like that, why don't you go check it out? A Gamer Looks at 40 is a really cool show where they go over the history of retro gaming, but it's through the lens of people who actually played the games. And there are several guests for the episodes. There's super cool transitions and edits and all this music. His new episodes on point-and-click adventures and LucasArts and Sierra comparisons. It's super cool. And thank you for shouting me out in that episode. Feeling is mutual. You're an awesome show. Gamer Looks at 40. Please like, follow, and share. 
If you're a fan of Marvel's What If series, and not just the show, I also mean the long-running comic book series, why not check out a show called Dear Watchers? It's a multiverse and what-if podcast. They've been supporting their show for a while now, and I'd love for you to check these two dudes out. They have an encyclopedic knowledge and soothing voices. The show's just actually really relaxing to listen to and it's chill. Dear Watchers, a multiverse and what-if podcast. Check it out where you get podcasts and Dear Watchers on Twitter. The Twisted Cape is a Philadelphia-based podcast like myself that specializes in all things comic book, and they were kind enough to check out all of my shows and had nothing but kind words to say to me and just like DM'd me and was like, hey, you're doing amazing, and I'm thankful for the support. Thank you so much. You can head over to thetwistedcape.com for more of them, including satire and opinion pieces, reviews. It's actually pretty neat. Twisted Cape. Life's twisted, so are the capes defending it. On the subject of comics, since we went Marvel and then general comics, I've got a DC one for you too. Batman Outsiders. They're a Batman like slash Wayne family podcast. And it's through the lens of queer theory, which if you're a fan of Hannibal, you should be intimately familiar with. And I think that's what made the show such a fresh and captivating take on that universe. And I love that they're doing it with Batman and Nightwing, and most recently on Tim Drake. Like, right on. I love it. Batman Outsiders, hashtag JLQ. All right, that's all the shout-outs for this week. Thank you so much. Uh, And before we continue, we're going to be diving deep into A Fistful of Dollars and Yojimbo. So here is your spoiler alert for those. If you haven't seen them, you should. Please go see them. Okay, time to get into the nitty-gritty of this week's episode. So when I asked you at the beginning of this episode to think about what movie, I, I really meant it. And some of you might have actually went, dude, yeah, fistful of dollars. Others didn't really care what we were talking about because I'm just background noise on a long car ride to somewhere they didn't really want to go to in the first place. But there are others that went Last Man Standing or Django because they're super deep cuts and that's immediately where they go. Really, all of these pieces come from one place and that's Yojimbo. So when talking about our adaptation series, A Fistful of Dollars is probably going to be our most infamous one because, it, well, it's, it's plagiarism. Um, this isn't a situation of referencing or paying an homage. This, this is straight up theft. Um, and I know I've said art is theft, um, but that's in pieces, right? You take a line, a character type, a, a, a trope, a, a scene you love, and you flip it, you remix it. That's what I talk about when I say artist theft. You know, uh, go to hitrecord.org, check them out. I mean, that's literally, you're just putting pieces up there and people are just remixing and, and thieving all over the place. And it's great. The flip side of that saying, though, is that theft is not art. This was taking roughly 80% of another film and reskinning it, right? Now, Leone made it a Western, turned everyone into cowboys, got rid of the anti-gun narrative, right? Because the main villain in Yojimbo has a gun. And a lot of actually Kurosawa's earlier work has anti-gun narratives in it, especially stuff like Stray Dogs. It's pretty evident. Now, there isn't actually anything wrong with doing it in this manner. There's other adaptations we talked about or might talk about in the future that do something pretty similar. But it's a problem if you haven't gotten the proper permissions, if you don't have any of the actual people involved or you even asked them or at least that they're credited, right? Like none of that's actually happening with A Fistful of Dollars until much, much later. 
and through court litigation, which is the worst kind of crap to go through as an artist and as a human being. It's just, it, it's wrong. It sucks. Now, Toho and Kurosawa won, and, and they got credits, and Yojimbo's on there, and it's said that it's an adaptation, and so there was some justice in the end, but they fought to ensure that that didn't happen for a bit. There's actually a famous story about it when Curacao went to go see A Fistful of Dollars. He actually sent a letter to Sergio Leone and said, I love your film. Unfortunately, I've seen it before. (laughs) The most gentlemanly way to to just start this thing, you know. Uh, I would have been shaking in my boots if I got that letter because I think Leone knew exactly what he was doing. Now, to this film and Sergio Leone's credit, all of this led me to Kurosawa's work and my first film of his, which was actually Yojimbo, and that's because of A Fistful of Dollars. And I don't think I'm the only one that kind of found it that way either. It's a very natural, low-resistance path into Japanese cinema, especially from some, like, poppy, basic Americana floozy like me. Like, you know, like, oh, is that pumpkin spice coffee with apple cider donuts? Well, just wrap me up in North Face and call me Samantha. So what did they take? Well, we don't actually know the real name of our hero, uh, only that he's going to be a bodyguard or a gunfighter. He's referred to in fairly high-level terms, and this is usually done to ensure that no one really gets uh, a beat on him, right? No one has the personality or wit level of our hero mapped out. Both men are generally quiet, but they're quick to explosive violence when they're provoked to a point. In Yojimbo, Toshiro Mufune did take the name of Kuwabatake Sanjuro, which means Mulberry Bush, 30 years old. We don't really get a name for Clint Eastwood's character in A Fistful of Dollars either, but he's simply known as The Stranger. The Stranger could have even been a phonic play on Sanjuro, honestly, but that's just me musing out loud. Where these films begin is very different, though. In A Fistful of Dollars, we're just coming into the town way quicker. In Yojimbo, we start with a stick toss at a road fork. Yojimbo also has a scene with a younger farmer boy leaving his family and basically dishonoring them to join one of the gangs in the nearby town, which leads Sanjiro to where the war is happening. So far, life or the Tao or the spirits uh, have taken him to this place, right? So he's not leaving. In both films, they go into the saloon and detail their plan to the barkeep, who tells them quite plainly that they should just pick up and leave, you psycho son of a bitch. <laughs> That's not going to happen, is it? In Yojimbo, you could start to play some mental games here to try to figure out Sinjiro's real motivations. He doesn't actually come across as amoral in the beginning either, and it does seem to think that life has a mission for him, right? He is, after all, a samurai, or at least was, who was meant to serve their master, And this stick kind of pointing him in the direction in many ways replaces that order from a master, replacing it with an order from on high. There's this evidence that he's at least somewhat spiritual and and somewhat multifaceted. The stranger in A Fistful of Dollars just kind of seems more greedy because we don't have the context at the beginning with the farm scene or the stick. But he also feels like he's got a secret. We don't really know what it is yet. There's just some sly smiles and grins. But The Stranger, by comparison, feels a little more mysterious to me than Sanjuro, but they're both fairly mysterious people. So as the film goes on, a lot of the same plot beats occur. Both men appeal to both sides in an attempt to get them to bid higher, but both want the fighter to prove themselves. In the case of Yojimbo, Sanjuro's sent out on a mission, but before leaving, finds out he's going to be betrayed and killed through eavesdropping. Everything escalates to an all-out brawl in the street until government officials arrive and make everything peaceful again. In A Fistful of Dollars, the stranger finds out about a detachment of soldiers killed for gold by the Rojos family and decides to act like a couple survived the attack. 
He tells the rival Baxters, who run to the cemetery to try to get them to testify against the Rojos. But he also tells the Rojos where they are, and they show up to stop them before they can talk. It's a ruse to start a gunfight, as both soldiers were already dead, and the stranger was just using them like puppets to make everyone shoot each other. Both of these plots lead to the same one, where we find out about this separated family through gambling. The fledgling simp husband bets his wife in cards and or dice. It doesn't matter. He's a gambling addict. The man bet his wife on the damn table. In both movies. Jesus Christ. They have a son. Daddy, where's mommy? Oh, daddy hit on a 16 and now he's a single parent. Then he's like, oh, baby, I'm sorry. No, fuck you. What's your name? Oh, that's right. It doesn't matter. You lost me the day you bet me into a sex slave, you fucking bastard. (laughs) Holy shit. But hearing about this captured woman and how she's constantly trying to escape and the story of how she got there and at seeing at one point her running towards her husband and son awakens this honor within our hero. And now we have to help this family. All the while, there are suspicions building about whether or not this badass is a bad guy or not. And Yojimbo, our very smart villain, doesn't show up until later in the film, and that's Unosuke the gunfighter. So he has less time to evaluate Sanjiro. But he also needs less time to evaluate him because he's so damn smart and he's so crazy. The other thing that sets Unosuke apart from everyone else is that he has a gun. In A Fistful of Dollars, Unosuke is replaced with Ramon Rojos, who also arrives late, but not that much later. And he doesn't have anything particularly special about his gun. He's just another gunfighter who just happens to be really good. So why bring all this up? Why is it important? Well, it touches on that anti-gun narrative I was speaking about earlier with Yojimbo. You actually had marketing taglines on posters like the sword versus the gun. And, And that was actually really big in Japan. The sword, the katana, that represented a particular way of life that was kind of getting destroyed by Western nations coming in with cannons and hand crank Gatling guns and revolvers in the 1800s. And there was this idea, and this idea actually found its way into other movies like Star Wars, and that's the sword, it's more elegant and honorable of a weapon when compared to the firearm. That the firearm makes you less of a traditional warrior, makes you less of a samurai in this case, right? Because his reliance on the gun eventually kind of makes him vulnerable to Sanjuro. In A Fistful of Dollars, the, the stranger shows off his ingenuity, sure, but he's just as reliant on the gun as everybody else. He's just higher skilled. The guns don't make Ramon or anyone else more crazy, either. In Yojimbo, it feels like Onosuke's gun is actually making him drunk on power, both from the fear people get when he points the barrel in their face, or the instant kind of orgasmic release of death he gets when he pulls the trigger, and he actually does look elated when he makes it go bang-bang. You don't get that in A Fistful of Dollars. Just that Ramon is on the similar level to the stranger, and that's kind of a problem for his plan. Both Sanjiro and the stranger end up successfully freeing the woman and reuniting the families before being captured and found out to be the traitor all along. Both lead to the torture of the men who escape through stealth while holding onto threads of life. The barkeep comes in to save the day and nurse him back to health over time until the barkeep's captured while trying to bring supplies to our hero, who now has to make a triumphant return to town to save the barkeep and put this whole thing to rest for good. Because now, it's 
personal. In Yojimbo, Sanjiro dispatches most of the gang members and has a final duel with Unosuke, who, in a dishonorable last-ditch effort to kill Sanjiro, convinces him he needs his pistol to go to the other side with him, or he'll fall naked. Sanjiro, trying to respect a dying man's request, gives it to him. However, he was ready for the betrayal. In a fistful of dollars, the stranger uses metal plates to deflect bullets like a crude bulletproof vest to help us win his last fight against Ramon and also show how friggin' smart he is. Afterwards, the barkeep and the rest of the town are free and our heroes leave to fight another day a little bit richer than before. Except in Yojimbo, there's a little extra scene in the ending fight. That boy I told you about in the beginning that told off his family is found in the last second and Sanjiro screams at him, freaking him out with his sword to go home and do exactly what he told his father he didn't want to do, which was live a long life eating gruel. It was Sanjiro's way of saving another life before they ended up down the same road, and it was actually a nice touch that I also missed in A Fistful of Dollars. Now, I hope this doesn't come across as something where I'm just bashing A Fistful of Dollars. That is absolutely not what I'm trying to do with this. A Fistful of Dollars is still an extremely important film to me and, and to many other people. It's unfortunate that the background of this film is so marred by litigation. But it is this litigation and this unauthorized adaptation that is actually what started me getting into and nerding out about film history. Because I found it so interesting that the laws had this many holes in it, that they were able to do things like this and get away with it for at least a certain period of time. I I felt like it really hurt artists, but it also introduced me to a lot of other artists I never would have found and and I never would have ever been able to do something like this, that's for sure. Both A Fistful of Dollars and Yojimbo introduced Western audiences, particularly American ones, to two new genres of film, Japanese samurai films and Italian spaghetti westerns. Both of these are sub-genres of the larger action genre and would go on to influence the likes of modern filmmakers like Martin Scorsese, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Robert Rodriguez, and Quentin Tarantino. And while both films capture a magic and energy that's iconic, it kind of seems that each recreation of this story is losing a little bit of its fidelity. But neither Yojimbo or A Fistful of Dollars seem to be doing that. They still seem to be glittering like gold. For homework this week, I'd love if you would dig into some modern takes on other Kurosawa films and find the original it's riffing off of. Watch them back to back and see what they did right or wrong in your eyes. What would you have done differently? What would you have taken out or put in? And let me know. Socials are Twitter at IG at Real of Thieves or realofthieves at gmail.com. I'd love to read your other pieces if you've been following along with us and doing the homework. I really, really do. Don't be a troll, be an artist, and I will see you next time here on Real of Thieves. Thieves.